Zell, I have some bad news. What? Is it another Chainsmokers single? No, no, not that. Someone hacked into our private email server. Oh, my God. What did they get? It's bad. Take a look. Oh. Oh, God, no. These are all of our Rihanna gifts. I know. It's all out there. Should we call the FBI? I, I don't know. That might call more attention to it. Do we make a statement and really get out in front of it? But, but then we'd be acknowledging that they're all real. I don't know what we can do. Let's just start the show. Hello and welcome to Don't Kill the Vibe. I'm Katie Bain. And I'm Zell McCarthy. On today's show, we're welcoming journalist Rebecca Haithcote and Amanda Chicago-Lewis to talk about among other things, all that marijuana that's on the ballot this November. We also take a look at new freelancer laws in New York City, plus Crystal is joining us for a look at some new music. But first, some hot topics and news. Katie, did you know that your favorite DJs who are not American citizens have to pay a little extra when they're coming to play in the U.S.? I did hear about this, yes. So it's standard practice for non American citizens to have to pay a visa fee when they are coming to work in the U.S. and playing a performance is considering work is considered work, but there are new increases in this fee. It's roughly forty-two percent, going up from three hundred twenty-five dollars to four hundred sixty dollars per act. So if you're in a band, you just pay one time. But if you're a solo artist, which many many DJs are, you pay that as a person. Usually, gets covered by your agents usually actually gets covered by the promoters who are then passing it on to each and every one of us in a ticket price. Right. And uh, a lot of people are pretty pissed off. Yeah, reasonably so. I mean, visas aren't always easy to get for DJs anyways. True. And it seems rather arbitrary when they're denied and it usually happens at the last minute. So this is just another hassle for all of these people who are in and out of the country a lot. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's not like... It's not going to really affect the rich ones that much. Uh, I don't think that, like, Tiesto is really going to be uh, severely harmed by this. In fact, I think Tiesto himself actually owns property in New York City, so he might have some kind of resident <laughs> status. Um, but for the most part, this is uh, going to really hurt the little guys who are trying to come over here and, and establish a new audience for themselves. Right. Yeah, no, I think it's a bummer. And and they're usually so slow to respond, the yes. visa department, visa department that it's, like I said, just another hiccup for these people that are just trying to get over here to work. In fact, that's what uh, Jason Garden, who's the talent buyer at Smart Bar in Chicago, basically said. He right. said yeah. that the uh, the upfront money is certainly part of the problem, but the unpredictability and difficulty of the visa process is perhaps an equal or greater obstacle for all parties involved. Totally. Well, I feel like nine times out of ten, when an artist drops off a festival lineup or a club night at the last minute, it's because they didn't get a visa or because they got to the U.S. and they denied them entrance because right. some visa issue. Right. And yeah. it's, I mean, you know, for some DJs, crime a river, but we'll see if this affects ticket prices. It's not, it's not, a, it's not something that club owners and event promoters are going to just take on the chin. Yeah, no. And nor they, sh nor, sh nor they should. But it's hard to fight the government and stuff like this. It is hard to fight the government. What do you do? Like, I, what's the mode of I don't know, defense? This, this is also like way down, buried in the deep annals of, of immigration services. This isn't like a call your elected official. They'd have to call 10 people to figure out who's even responsible. Do we know why the price was raised? Uh, this shit gets expensive all the time. If you have applied for a passport over the last 20 years, the fees just go up. I oh, mean, that's true. passports are a little more directly managed by now the State Department again, but uh, things like this, it's it's hard to pinpoint an exact reason, I think. Except the government wants your money. Fuck the man. Tiesto. Yeah. They're coming for you. Exactly. Um, speaking of more depressing things than, than visa fee increases, <laughs> depression. Nice segue. Thank you. <laughs> I wasn't planning on that one, but... You really nailed that. From one cause of depression to another. Apparently, being a musician can cause you to be depressed. Yeah, I saw that study too. I saw the study that you're referencing. Um, but you have a few issues with the study. Well, why don't you first tell everybody what the study found and what it's all about? So this was reported in several outlets, and I, I, I want to be very clear. I'm not necessarily taking issue with the study. I'm not a psychologist or an academic to have read the study and vetted it. 
but it was reported by several outlets as being evidence that being a musician can lead to greater incidences of depression or being an artist. Um, And that's not quite what the study itself is saying. The study was commissioned by a group called Help Musicians UK, which is a a UK group that uh, endeavors to help musicians (laughs) with all sorts of problems from getting paid properly to collecting the royalties to... uh, you know, making sure their safety when they're performing and then also to to respond to an uptick in reports about artists being or artists struggling with depression. Um, and this uh, two, two researchers, two researchers at the University of Westminster uh, took a survey of about 2000 people who called themselves musicians and uh, about 70 percent of them believed that they had, quote, experienced incidences of anxiety and panic attacks, which are signs of depression. Right. Well, I don't think it's new news, really, that artists and other creative types are sort of prone to mood swings. No. Right. Like in my experience, doesn't like a lot of the, the musicians I know are kind of all over the place. And that's where the art comes from. I'm not saying that it has to be that way. I'm just saying right. that like that's sort of a... Uh, traditional mode of being for a lot of artists. And I do wonder what causes, if it's being a musician that causes someone to be depressed or if someone is depressed and so they are more likely to seek a creative expression or creative outlet like music. That's a good question. I mean, yeah, because the art does come from, you know, sort of these hard places. Right. So these numbers apparently skew higher than uh, reports of who is depressed across the society of British people, which apparently they have really good statistics on. Hmm. I think if you lived in a climate where it was cold and rainy a lot of the year, you'd probably be a little more depressed. Yeah, no, that's also an important thing to take into consideration. Yeah. Totally. Totally. Because all of this, this entire study was in the UK. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, I mean, you take you take issue with the study for what reason? I, I take issue with the study. Well, you know, I, when you read the study, there's less to take issue with. The study itself says that this is, quote, a part one of a more extensive research project that will follow in 2017. So the study is being very upfront. What I was a little kind of uh, irked by is how it was reported both by Pitchfork and Thump and I think a few other outlets as being some kind of conclusive evidence in that kind of internet clickbaity way that says, oh, look, we've, we've read a study, we've read the headline of the study, now here's a headline for you to click on, and ipso facto, depression equals being a musician. And that's not what the study is saying, and that's the, the study is saying we've done this preliminary bit of research, we're going to do more. That's important for people to know. I think so. And I think, you know, but there have been, I'm certainly not saying you're wrong, but there have been other articles. And I think that both of us have done research and stories we've worked on with um, DJing in particular being a field that sort of can contribute to depression and mental illness and substance abuse problems because of the nature of the work. Right. And the pace of the lifestyle. And life's like, you know, again, it's not to some violins for DJs most of them are those who are able to work are able to work well but it is difficult I can speak from my own experience it is difficult when you are on the road quite a bit by yourself going from anonymous hotel to anonymous hotel with very minimal contact with other people you're more and more disconnected from your world at home totally you're away on holidays a lot of the time you're missing weddings you're missing births you're missing events yeah you see other people having the prime moment of their life and you're just soundtracking it you're not really a part of it in that way plus everyone else around you or the perception probably is a lot of the time that you are having the time of your life yes exactly. and and, and you're not and that's to sort of compound the depression and anxiety that you're already feeling i remember years ago i interviewed cascade like years ago and he at that point uh, was just talking about how he doesn't drink, doesn't do drugs. He's always been that way because of his faith. He's LDS. And he said that he'd show up in a city on like a Wednesday night to play a gig and the promoter would have like an eight ball because it was his, the big night of the week and they're going to do it up. And for Cascade, it was just another night of, of playing music and he loved his job, but it wasn't like the go all out, get turnt night that it was for the people who were bringing him to town. Right, right. And if you're not a person who sort of abides by those strict rules of yeah. your faith or whatever, you can see how it would be really easy if there's an eight ball waiting for you in every city that you go to, to slip into a really unhealthy lifestyle really quickly. Absolutely. And I think a lot of these people do, and most of them pull themselves out of it, but some don't. Right. And we should also say, you know, neither of us are obviously 
experts on psychology, but we do know from our own experiences what that all these things that we're describing can trigger anyone who might be prone to having a kind of depressive experience. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, a, it's I don't envy DJs, really. It's a tough job. I think it's probably very isolating. Yeah. And then you have a million people out there worshiping you, but I think it'd be easy to also feel alone at the end of the day in your hotel room. Totally. But that's why you have groupies. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I have no idea. Throw it to a groupie. You'll never feel lonely <laughs> again. All right, moving on. Uh, Katie, you were kind of on top of these uh, Swedish house mafia rumors. Okay, here's a confession is that I, I'm a huge Swedish House Mafia fan. What? Yeah, no, it's it's true, and I'm not ashamed of it. And I got really excited last week when Axwell tweeted something to the effect of, you know, there's always time to start again. And it was a... (laughs) 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 Isn't that what it said? I don't... It was like, like you can come back from everything. There's always time to start again. Um, And then there was a logo with an A, an I, and an A, which, of course, would stand for Axwell and Grosso and Angelo. Mm -hmm. Angelo? Angelo, 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 um, which would be, of course, the original members of Swedish House Mafia. Um, but or that, yeah, or well, some people thought that it was Alesso, who they are also very close with, and who's um, kind of been a protege of, particularly in Grosso, one hundred percent. Yeah. So you know, there were rumors that they were maybe going to revive the group with Alesso, and the timing of the date on the tweet coincided with Ultra, so everyone got excited about that, and Ultra was, of course, there final show in 2013 yeah 2013 2013 kind of their final show well they've obviously splintered into two groups that have had much less uh, success right independently and so for me it wouldn't be surprising if they were going to do a cash grab and get back together it does seem rather soon and it doesn't seem to me like they have the best relationship between steve angelo and axwell and sebastian and grosso so yeah you know, the tweet subsequently was taken down and Axel responded saying that, you know, anyone can Photoshop anything and the rumors are not to be believed. So <laughs> Swedish House Mafia fans are back to sitting around with their fingers crossed. I think what's funny about this is it got the most coverage on Dancing Astronaut, who was at the time the, like the top music blog in electronic music. And they were, I mean, frankly, were up the asses of every member of Swedish House Mafia. <laughs> I think they could. They probably had Amy Thompson, who was SHM's manager on Speed Dial, or they wanted to at least. Um, but aside from them, does anyone care? Are there people that are still like, yeah, I would really love to hear Don't You Worry Child played by three people <laughs> one more time? <laughs> I think there are. Yeah? I would argue that there are. I think a lot of the young people that were really into Swedish House Mafia that were like, you know, 21, 22 at the time, would definitely go back and see that show again if it were to come around because they had such like sort of transcendent early dance music experiences with those guys. So it's really profound for them in their memories. See, I think they've moved on. I think they have different tastes now and I think that they are slightly embarrassed about the fact that they were, you know, rocking out to one I am not embarrassed. All right. Well, you might be an exception. Oh, loud and proud, you guys. <laughs> Tweet us if Don't you disagree. You worry. Don't um, you worry. Oh, God. The other Swedish House Mafia news is around Steve Angelo, who is being sued in two separate lawsuits. And I, I, uh, well, we'll tell you what they are. One is uh, from a former executive of his record label, Size, and the other one is from artist and producer, producer Junior Sanchez. Um, the first one is citing a breach of partnership agreement and promissory fraud, which basically means that you uh, said you were going to pay something you didn't. Failure to pay wages, unfair business practice. Separately, Junior Sanchez's is for fraud, breach of oral contract, and other charges. Um, both of these go to court early next year. I, You know, these, this is ugly. And this is uh, particularly ugly on the Junior Sanchez front because he was brought in um, at the end of 2013, beginning of 2014, to be kind of the guy who would hold down the studio sessions at the size records like compound in North Hollywood while a bunch of young guns were there running around trying to make music. Junior was the more seasoned pro handling sessions basically in lieu of Steve. Steve was kind of MIA for a lot of it. Um, that was my observation. I don't want that to go on, go into a court hearing or whatever. Don't quote me, lawyers. Um, or subpoena me if you want to, bitches. Um, 
so, but, uh, you know, and, and Junior himself, he, I know him. He's a, he's a good guy. Steve's always really pl- is nice, but everyone's fucking afraid of Steve Angelo. And they're not now. They're ponying up with their lawyers. Yeah, well, I have no idea. But I think that when there's smoke, there's fire. So something's going on here that's not on the up and up. Yeah. And to uh, just to read the statement uh, from Junior's team, he says that Mr. Sanchez quote, respects and cares for Mr. Angelo and his family very much and considers them friends. Unfortunately, in this business, sometimes you need to resolve matters in a courtroom, and that's what we're doing. That's awkward. Awkward. Bummer. It sucks when you have to see your friends. <laughs> Watch out. Watch <laughs> out, Katie. Okay. Um, no, but I think, you know, it's, uh, I think this just kind of speaks to the greater decline of that massive EDM moment three or four years ago. Everyone was making a shitload of money then. They're not anymore. Steve sunk everything he had into an artist album that never panned out. He signed uh, with Sony. He got out of that and is now being managed by Scooter Braun. Um, There has yet to be a big hit from him on his own, and he's definitely tried. I think it's unfortunate that this is how it's, it's come down, but that's where it's at. I agree, but you know what would actually make him a lot of money? What? A Swedish House Mafia reunion. Oh, feeling those rumors. <laughs> it's true, though. Sorry. I, I guess it's, it's yeah. Listen, Amy Thompson, I know you're probably listening, and you know that I respect you and have a deep but complicated love for you. Katie Bain is here to tell you that she is representative of a ticket-buying public. Get I know the, at least three other people that are very <laughs> excited about this. Of course, we expect list, so get those boys back together. I'm not paying for the ticket. <laughs> we'll no. be there. Okay, thanks. Um, should we follow up on a little story from last week? Yeah, let's do it. Shemansky. Shemansky. It's just fun. It's fun to say. Everyone that's listening, just say it. Take a minute and just say Shemansky. Shemansky. We'll give. It, we'll say it right now. Shemansky. It oh. moves all over your mouth. Yeah, it's like a full mouth word. Apparently, he he. This is. Uh, the name of a cop on German television. Horst Schmansky. Yeah. Was his name. Horst Schmansky. And um, it's also the name of... A brand new club. The former Verboten in Williamsburg is now Schmansky. Yeah. And it opened, had a soft opening, Soft right? open. Uh, over Halloween weekend. You know you're baller when you can soft open on Halloween. Most clubs are like, we gotta get open before the biggest night of the fall. But this club's like, we're fucking Shemansky. We'll open when we're ready. We'll soft open on Halloween. (laughs) Well, that's probably because they have some big money behind them in the form of Eddie Dean. Yeah. Who is, of course, the former Pacha owner, Pacha New York, who has sunk some money into Shemansky. And it didn't take a lot for them to open. Apparently, they haven't changed much of the interior of Verboten. That just opened in early 2014. It had a very Eastern European vibe to it then, uh, supposedly trying to be like a kind of Cold War era thing where everyone was looking at you. I never thought they went as full on as they could have with that theme. Um, maybe maybe Shemansky is more appropriate than Verboten. But uh, yeah, so they just kind of flipped it renamed it, soft opened it. It's kind of a dream yeah. for anyone going in there because it's if it's not broke, don't fix it. Totally. And, and it wasn't broken. It was just sort of, uh, its soul was broken. Right. And now you have new people in there and it sounds like it was it was a pretty good time for the people that went over the weekend. DJs who are not world-renowned, which I think appeals to the underground set of Brooklyn. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. And, uh, oh, and my favorite part, my friend Kevin McHugh, uh, is uh, a music. He manages a bunch of artists, but he also uh, designs the Disco Shark. Oh, I did see that. I if thought you've of you. Been to Coachella. Yes. It hangs above the Yuma tent during Coachella. Uh, it's typically winters uh, in Hollywood, but I guess now there's a Disco Shark swimming in the seas of the Brooklyn nightlife in at Chemansky. So this designer makes disco balls shaped like aquatic life to call attention to. To the, the preservation of, of said aquatic life. Right. So sharks, we uh, often get a bad rep because occasionally they eat Did people. you say we? Uh, we, we often get a bad rep. <laughs> <Did> I, <laughs> people in the room is nodding. It's a Freudian slip. I'm not a shark. Okay. I want to be... Okay. Zal is not a shark very for the record. This, but Thank I you. stand up for the sharks. That's right. Okay. Via the form, in, in the disco ball form. How can you not stand up for a disco shark? I agree with... No, that's, those things are cool. In the Yuma tent, it's always like a fun... Yeah. A fun sight. So now he's swimming. He's swimming at Shemansky. 
<laughs> uh, less fun clubbing on Halloween, and um, this is such a disgusting story that um, we— Oh, I, I hate to even talk about yeah. it. Ooh. Here's what—well, we'll tell you what it is, and then we'll tell you why we're talking about it. Um, you may have heard of these hell houses that pop up around Halloween. Usually they're created by evangelical or born-again Christian groups who want to depict things that happen in our culture and society as some kind of hellacious landscape. Um there was a school, an elementary school in Chicago that was leased by an outside group to uh, do a haunted house. The school did not know at the time what the haunted house was going to contain. Subsequently, people found out. Um, and amongst other things, there was going to be a room where I guess there was a reenactment of um, of the club, of the Pulse Club, uh, Pulse nightclub shooting in Orlando in June. Um, Which is... Freaking terrifying. This is how it was described. Dancers, victims, caged people, screamers, extras needed trying to escape a cage. So, yeah, that's gross. It's really gross. Pretty, but, it, uh, but it ended up not happening. It ended up not happening. The school issued a statement saying um, the room, a journey to hell. Um, that would, amongst other ill-advised subjects, depict the horrific Orlando shooting that left 49 people dead, um, was mischaracterized by organizers, uh, or the events were, the true content of the events was mischaracterized by organizers, and the school did not approve of any association with the activities they have now advertised. So, and this is uh, put on by this guy named um, Tyrone Tapler, what, says he's some sort of reverend? No. Pastor? He, he actually calls himself like a dramatist. He he considers what he does to be theater, um, inspired by, I think, his beliefs. But he was pretty, he, he announced on Twitter that it wasn't happening, and then he was somewhat defiant. He said in a subsequent tweet, they don't know I'm a trailblazer. And then he said, global attacks means global power. I'm getting ready to go global. Him and like, I think maybe 150 Twitter followers? Come at me, bro. Hmm. It was it was pretty pathetic and disgusting. And uh, Halloween aside, I can't think of anything more horrifying in uh, a nightclub than what happened to everyone in Orlando at Pulse. And so to to use that as a way to demonize uh, gay people, people of color, club culture, any of it is, uh, I mean, look, I don't know what God he believes in, but I'm sure... It's not on the approved list of activities to do something like that. There you go. Yeah. I agree. I think, with, is, is that all we need to say about that? That's all we need to say. Um, let's give a shout out to Mark Ronson's tweet of the week. You love this tweet. Mark Ronson, who worked, of course, on the new Gaga album. Yeah, which you really are liking. I am liking. Yeah, I think that lead track especially, Diamond something. Yeah. It's good. It's good. You didn't love it. I think it's great. However. I didn't love but you can't knock Mark Ronson. No, he's like an ace in the hole. Is that the correct expression? Yeah, ace yeah. in the hole? He's, his discography is like, is solid. Mm -hmm. Like, let's say you're not into the Skaga record. Okay. You can't, you, you want to tell me that Bruno Mars' Uptown Funk isn't a good record? Okay, fine. You want to go back and listen to Amy Winehouse and be like, oh, that's not good. I'm not fucking with that. All right. Check out Lily Allen. Like, it goes deep. It goes back. There's no, there's nothing wrong with what he's doing. So he tweeted, it was kind of a subtweet to the Chainsmokers. He said, Quote, back to being the charisma bypass champions of two-bar Ableton loops? Well, smash it while it lasts, fellas. P.S. And he links to an article about managing your money, implying that they're not going to have much for long. Slam. Yep. Points, Mark Ronson. There you go. I think that's all, I think that's all we have time for, for right now. Oh, can I give a shout-out to some baseball? <laughs> yes. If you watch the World <laughs> Series in the last two weeks, uh... You may have picked a side. I think a lot of people picked the Chicago Cubs. But Chicago is the home of house music, and Cleveland is the home of rock and roll. What better two cities to be vying for the pennant? It certainly divided my family. I have deep ties to both cities. Um, everyone's a winner, though. I think when there's 
there's actually shit happening that's not uh, that's positive. You know, baseball's a positive game. It's fun. It's, it's fun to pastime. watch. It's America's pastime. And if you listen uh, to the background noise in those stadiums, they play a lot of uh, surprising tunes. I heard Mar- Martin Solvig um, intoxicated. <laughs> I love that song. I yeah. was running to that song. There you go. By running, I mean walking, but it was still putting some pep in that's my okay. step. That's okay. Those ballplayers aren't really running either. They're kind of like, chugging along. Yeah, we move at about the same first. pace. Yeah, you're just like a roided up <laughs> <laughs> overpaid uh, baseball player. Just like that. All right, we'll be right back to talk about some weed. Check in a second. If you have ever worked for anybody else and you have not been a full-time employee, then you have been a freelancer, my friends. New York City's city council just passed some new rules to make that life better for you. But by the time you're listening to this, the election that has driven all of America and the world crazy will probably be over, or if it's just (laughs) a few days away. Yes. On many state ballots are measures to... Uh, approve the recreational use of marijuana. That's right. Joining us to talk about both of those topics are Amanda Chicago-Lewis and Rebecca Haithko. Welcome to Don't Kill the Vibe. Hey. Thanks, guys. So, Amanda, you are, I think it's fair to say, a weed expert. I think you could say that. All right. So tell us about what's going on with this election with regards to marijuana. Uh, so the most important thing is that it's on the ballot in California to be legalized for recreational use, which is weirdly more of a large sort of symbolic thing than an actual thing. Uh, it's sort of difficult to say how it's actually going to affect California at this point because, um, California, the legislature last year passed this huge bill that nobody really talks about, uh, finally putting regulations into the medical system. Uh, the medical marijuana system. Yes, the medical marijuana system. Okay. So it's really not clear how that's going to merge with the uh, recreational ballot initiative that's there right now. And what's actually way more important is like whether Los Angeles decides to put an ordinance together or what they do with Meaning that. Meaning cities can create yeah. local ordinances that supersede state ordinances? Cities can ban. Cities can say, we don't want marijuana businesses here. Oh. You can still legally possess but we don't want dispensaries, so we're not going to have dispensaries. Or we're going to say which types of businesses we want and which types we don't. And that, especially in Los Angeles, is so much more important than the statewide thing. Um, it's much more of a huge, I guess, symbolic moment of progress, potentially, if California passes and a bunch of other states like Maine and Massachusetts, Arizona, uh, pass, it could affect federal policy, but it's really like a symbolic victory, and it's almost certainly going to pass. Okay, so th- it's not just in California, though, that it's on the ballot. Does it matter that it's on the ballot in other states? I know Nevada is one, I think. Yeah, it yeah. does. I mean, it matters in that it's like a huge turning point. And in those states, it's going to matter so much more. Like in Massachusetts, that's a really big deal. If that passes in Massachusetts, that's huge. But California has this like enormous existing industry, and it's really more like what are the rules of that existing industry going to look like? And, you know, will that completely, you know, undermine the rules that were like written by the legislature last year? So in California, it's, there's like this weird dissonance between like what people think it means and like what it's actually going to mean for people who run businesses, um, which is like not totally clear uh, for now. But, you know, if it passes in a lot of states and it looks like it's going to, the real thing is if it could become a tipping point to change federal policy. Because if things are legal in the state, what does that mean if it's illegal federally? There are so many. So, like, if you live in Colorado and you have, like, children and you buy weed, like, Child Protective Services could still, like, take your children away. Or the biggest one is banks can't accept um, money from marijuana businesses because banks are insured and regulated by federal law. So if you run a perfectly legal marijuana business in Colorado or Oregon or something like that, you can't put your money in a bank. So where are these people keeping their money? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Like all the all manner. I've heard all no, manner like, of really? sketchy, <laughs> strange solutions. I mean, there's banks and credit cards that like miscode what that money actually is uh, okay. or like Literally, I talked to a guy at a thing once who's like, yeah, give me your money. This guy, like, kind of looked like Trump. He was kind of orange with, like, weird hair. And he was like, yeah, you give me your money. And then I, like, put it in a safety deposit box. 
and then I like put it in my truck and I like drive it over the border to Canada and then we keep it there. Are you sure that wasn't Trump? I hear he actually needs the cash. That wouldn't surprise yeah. me. If that I was. put it in my truck. <laughs> no, like seriously, that was like the solution when I, I mean, he didn't say that when I first asked it, but I like kept asking questions until I got to like, what is the actual thing that you're doing with the money? And it was like, oh, we're driving it to Canada in like lock boxes. Wow. <laughs> That's insane. I, and what surprises me about that part is that one of the reasons why people are voting to approve uh, marijuana legalization in a lot of the states is because it kills the black market of m- marijuana sales. But I feel like if you can't bank that cash, you, you're yeah, creating a whole other black exactly. market. Exactly. And it only kills the black market in theory. I mean, like in Colorado, it's also like that only works if the whole country is going to commit to that. Like something like 30% of the marijuana in Colorado is being trafficked out to black markets. So, you know, like it doesn't matter if, like, Nebraska still doesn't have legal weed. Like, that's going to cause this, like, really weird effect on, like, the market in Colorado. You know? Shout out Nebraska. If you're listening, tell us what it's like smoking them dudes. <laughs> I'm sure they've got great weed in Nebraska now because it's all coming from Colorado. Ah. I'm curious because a lot of people that I, I've spoken to in California who work in the black market here mm-hmm. – don't want it to pass because it takes away their profits. When what, you say the black market, what do you mean? Well, like they, at a dispensary or like they're literally drug dealers? Well, I guess hey, they're... Don't they're, put Katie's context on blast like that, Amanda. <laughs> there are people that are growing weed or right, cutting right, or, right. you know, like they go and harvest it. Trimming. Yeah. yeah trimming. <laughs> trimming. Thank you. Uh-huh. Cutting. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Nope. I'm a nerd. Get my terminology. <laughs> um... Yes. Well, so I think what they are basically referring to is the fact that um, the regulations passed by the legislature last year really will help existing operators make the transition if they want, whereas the details of Proposition 64 on the ballot in California will allow in five years for these enormous, um, like, sort of conglomerate uh, corporate weed entities to exist. And like, as soon as those exist, it's going to push everybody else out of the market. So like, if you're just like a small farmer somewhere, it's really difficult to survive. You know, it's going to Walmart the hell out of the situation. So corporatizing the way weed is grown will will be a detriment to a lot of people who have sustained the crop is what you're saying. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it's really weird, right? Because like all the people who have made it so that weed survived through prohibition and were like getting us this weed. And even now in California, like it's legal for us to go to dispensaries and like get it and then possess it. And like when that's you have fine. a medical. Right. When you have a medical card, right. which is everyone knows is like nothing. You just go, you pay for it. It's over. No one like is like really examining you in a medical way. Wait, hang on. Is that because I think People outside of California may not totally believe that that is the case. But oh yeah, that is pretty much. You the roll case. up, you give them thirty bucks, they give you a medical card. Wait, you who you give who thirty bucks? Like a, a quote unquote doctor, like a real doctor, but a doctor that has decided they just want to make money, so they do this. What? Do you have to give them a symptom? Like I get headaches. I have yeah, insomnia. you have to give them a fake symptom, but like, sure. what are are there unacceptable symptoms? No, not really. Because the <laughs> like law... You guys should have seen the look that Amanda just gave me. Like, <laughs> bitch, where you been living? Well, no, because the law <laughs> specifically says... The law in California specifically says for, like, any other ailment that the doctor thinks marijuana would help with. Okay. Yeah. And I understand a lot of people who currently uh, consume medical marijuana are not as crazy about this passing because suddenly their marijuana will be taxed. Right now it's tax-free. Prices might it... go up. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, but it's also like, okay, there probably are also are, or not probably, there are a lot of people of color who are still being harassed and like arrested for weed and like those numbers will go down. But also if you look at states that have legalized like racial disparities and like ticketing and like arrests still manage to be worse than before legalization. So like, you know, this is not going to, like, solve the problem of right. police harassing black people, but it may make it a little bit better. Um, I think it'll be more dramatic in other states. Like, in California, we already have a pretty okay system. Mm-hmm. It, it'll get better. The criminal justice aspects of the initiative are good, um, but, like, it is definitely opening the door almost certainly to big pot, corporate pot. Whoa. That's kind of crazy. I don't think that's something that most people would expect. Yeah. Are there? Yeah. What about the symbolic victory? Like, where does that put sort of the the turning point, like you mentioned, in the war on drugs? Yeah. So, I mean, 
it's really just a matter of whether it affects federal policy and like, my goodness, I wish I knew what they were saying <laughs> at the Department of Justice and whether like, mm, I guess it legalized in California. But like people I have talked to who work in you know the Department of Justice and stuff like that, it's like the people in Washington, D.C. just like don't actually understand what's going on in California right. at all. And even in terms of like the widespreadness of dispensaries and like, you know, the culture and the way that things have changed, it's just like really this weird disconnect because we're on the other side of the country. But, like, I mean, I guess the best that we can hope for is that the feds would see this as, like, a huge sea change and, you know, actually change federal policy. Because, I mean, the stuff I said about child protective services and banking is, like, two of, like, seven enormous problems because of the distance between state law and federal law. What do you think the chances are of it passing in Arizona and states that maybe aren't as sort of famously friendly towards marijuana. I mean, it looks pretty good in those places. Also, like, Arizona already has medical marijuana. Um, is which it as is, easy in California as it it's is? It's not as easy, okay. but it's definitely not as strict as it is in, like, New York or, like, Minnesota or places right. where it's really strict. Um, so they New actually York, have a pretty robust industry the there. For sure. <laughs> like, in, yeah. How far out do you think we are from you know, eradicating arrest of people for possessing weed. On a national scale? Right. It could be a while. I mean, racism is alive and well. And, like, the thing, the more that I learn about drug policy, the more that I learn, like, it is 100% from racist attitudes. Like, weirdly, if you look at the states that have really liberal drug laws... It's states that are, like, very white, like Oregon or Maine. And then if you look at places like Oklahoma has, like, really strict drug laws. This law doesn't—I mean, like, this rule of, you know, the whiter the state, the more liberal the drug law. That doesn't apply to every single Right, because California has—white people are, I think, at a 48% right. po- of the population, right. like, which technically is a minority. I mean, mm-hmm. that, that, and we have fairly liberal drug policies right, here. Right, right. But, like, generally, yeah. I mean, if you look at the history, like, even what was it determined in, like, the late 19th century to be— a drug versus like a medicine like what was supposed to be harmful was there was actually just this like academic study that came out that I was reading the other day about how like exactly what was supposed to be harmful was the stuff that like poor people and people of color were using uh, and like what was okay was like what rich people and white people were using like and so, expensive barbiturates like immigrants like yeah exactly okay. yeah so it was very it's just this very like weird you know, there's always going to be because even in situations like in um, in Colorado or you know places like that, like they still it's like oh well possession is legal, but like you know you can't smoke in public, so like they find a way to like ticket. It's like it's always going to be an excuse and a pretext to harass people. So like no one being arrested for possession, it could easily be a decade. And also like think there are still places maybe in the south that are like dry counties that like don't yeah. have alcohol. So yeah. like there's always going to be places that are like no weed. I grew up in a town that yeah. was dry. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. One one other question thing I've been wondering about, smoking bans have been in effect in public places in most states and most of western Europe and Canada for a long time. Do people think that this this relaxing of mar- attitudes towards marijuana will affect that? Do you think we'll be at a point where we'll go to a club and like in a smoking section. That's one of the last things. So yeah. like social use and public use. These are all these things that were like, everyone thinks of it as like legalized, legalized or like not legalized. Right. And there's just such a huge spectrum between those two things and like little aspects of can your employer still fire you? Like, ah. yes. In California, if Prox 64 passes, right? Like, or, you know, how much of this can you possess before you like get arrested? But like that social use, the only place in the country where social use is legal is Alaska and that hasn't like fully gone into effect yet but you like social use Denver I think Denver has something on the ballot um on Tuesday about social use but like it's a big it's a struggle so there's like underground places I mean there's plenty of underground weed clubs in but wait, what Angeles. defines social use social use is like sorry um <laughs> so policy wonky like <laughs> man is just like still in the weed <laughs> you get it? It all. oh my god everyone in Sacramento thinks that's like the funniest joke that's ever happened oh yeah <laughs> I like, how you, I like how you have inside <laughs> jokes with the people in our state capital about oh your God. weed covering. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Wait, so um, social use, what is it? Social use is like being able to smoke in public. 
or being able to smoke at a bar. Okay. Like the, or not a necessarily, I mean, I think getting it at a bar where there's also liquor served will be like really hard. But even just to be able to have the equivalent of a bar, but for pot, okay, that's not legal anywhere that weed is quote unquote legal. Okay. I mean, like California has this weird gray area and like we've sort of been operating in this, I don't know, there's a lot of stuff that goes on that's like not actually legal. Like um, Katie was saying, like about people who are growing in California, like most people who smoke weed in Los Angeles don't understand that the person that grew that weed like is could be raided or have their bank account frozen or mm-hmm. be arrested by like any level of law enforcement at any time. Like what's legal and what's not legal is very vague for a lot of people. So the idea is that yes, these bills are good to pass, but that doesn't mean you're going to be able to light a blunt in the club next weekend if they do. Absolutely not. Yeah. Okay. And it should could be a long time before that happens. Yeah. It could be a really never time All actually, right. especially a blunt has tobacco in it. So. Oh, wait. <laughs> okay. I think you meant doobie. I don't know what I meant, you guys. I don't smoke the stuff, okay? Uh, I mean, blunts are wonderful, but they are wrapped with tobacco leaves, and therefore you're not, I don't think, ever going to be able to smoke a blunt inside. Oh. Well, I don't want anyone smoking inside. I think smoking is disgusting. (laughs) This is where you tell us you don't want weed to be legal and you hate fun. Do it outside, you know? Yeah. You know, I don't want to have to smell like your... Your pot smoke. Don't come to the weed club then, boom. Yeah, exactly. I won't. I don't, no one's invited me. <laughs> well, I don't even know where it is. <laughs> um, well, I think we should keep revisiting this topic because it's fascinating and I think that people are generally underinformed. So I appreciate your expertise on it. Yeah, I'm a little, I'm a little like deep on it. Sarge is sort of in the clouds, <laughs> shall we say? <laughs> I hope it doesn't go up in smoke. I got these all day, you guys, all day. Um, other thing we wanted to talk about is uh, this freelancer's. Bill of Rights, so to speak. It's actually not called a Bill of Rights, but the New York City City Council took up this uh, legislation uh, recently, like within the last two weeks, and Mayor de Blasio there is expected to sign it. Um, It requires freelance, well, it requires people who hire freelancers to give them a written contract and uh, for anything that's valued at $800 or more. So that might seem like a lot of money. But uh, if you are working for that much money, it seems like it's fair that you have a contract that says that you're going to get paid by a certain date. And if you don't get paid by that date, you are entitled to double damages. Damn. Which wouldn't be so bad. I know, honestly. Yeah. Right. And you can take your, you know, whoever is in violation of the contract, you can take them to court and they have to take up, they have to pick up the attorney fees. That's incredible. Yeah. So, so I have to pay you in full and on time, which is massive if you're a freelancer. Totally. And this affects a ton of people. A lot of people, especially yeah. in New York and Los Angeles, where it's so much a gig economy and people are going from job to job to job as freelancers. Right. And it's, I mean, I think even you might know a freelancer, you might be a freelancer yourself, but you definitely have come into contact with the work of a freelancer, whether that's a writer or a journalist or someone who's made music for you or I guess even worked at a bar. I mean, if you're not a full-time employee, technically you're mm. freelancing. Is that is that correct? I think I guess it depends on on the terms of your employment. But uh, this, I think generally speaking, you know, creative industry, any creative industry, yeah, you're going to encounter a freelancer. Right. So, yeah. Rebecca, you have kind of uh, stood up for yourself in a way that was fairly unique. Do you want to tell us about that situation? Sure. Well, you know, I think most writers have encountered a situation where you have not been paid for months and months and months. Most people in the music industry have mm-hmm. encountered that situation. Yeah, for sure. And I just wrote for a publication. Um, I wrote the piece in February. It was filed on time and was supposed I was supposed to be paid, it was published, and I was supposed to be paid on the 10th of April. It was published by a ma- by the magazine itself? Yes. In the in print? Yes, in print. On yes. the page? in print and the, online, both. The words were there. Yes, the words were there. <laughs> Everybody was happy. And I had a correspondence with the editorial assistant until the end of May, which, you know, there's this whole back and forth about, you know, making sure I got paid. Yet, um, as of today, I have still not been paid. So, 
and, and the other thing is I've sent multiple emails, six or seven emails right. at this point, and even to the publisher and editor-in-chief. Nothing has been responded to. So Saturday I took to Twitter, and oh. I am not messy, and I do not live for drama, but I had to just take it to Twitter and say, you know, I haven't been paid, and you won't respond to emails. Right. So I don't know what else to do at this point. Do you want to say who it was? Sure. It was a publication in London called Wonderland Magazine. Okay. And, you know, they have done some high-profile covers since I've written for them. They did a Kim Kardashian cover. So clearly they're not going out of business. I'm sure. I'm sure Kim K didn't do that for (laughs) out of the goodness of her heart. Even if she did, just getting glam together for her is not. Exactly. That's got to be, you know, she works with the best. So (laughs) That's why they hired you. They want the best, but then they didn't pay you. They did not pay me. Yeah, and they still haven't paid me, and they've still not responded, you know, and I had a good friend who has a lot of followers on Twitter. Not a good friend, but a friend um, who has like 100,000 followers who actually stood up for me as well. Still nothing. So That's so bizarre. So it just shows that we really need these laws because, you know, people, I think, still don't, you know, give us credit for doing real work, creative industries. They don't think it's real work. You know, if we were plumbers, would that you know, would you ever get away with not paying someone who came and did work on your house? Right. But just because we do, you know, what people see as non-essential work. Or fun work. Like, right. oh, it must have paid for itself because you got to hang out with that artist. Yeah, exactly. You got the exposure. You got your name. Exposure. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's another way you try to yeah. give the paid. old, like, you know, early internet days of... Right. Write for free. We give you exposure. And we should point out, you are a professional journalist. Yeah. You write for a variety of publications. You, exposure is not why you do it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. You, you don't need that. That's my only job. I'm a professional <laughs> journalist. I don't need the... And know. other people have no problem paying you exactly. the money for the work that you do for them. Right. Yeah. Have, have you been in a situation like this before where you haven't been paid on time? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think all of us have. Oh, definitely. I mean, months and yeah. months. Definitely. And you always have to kind of start with a politely worded email of like, hey, mm-hmm. you know, I hope you're great. Just checking in, wondering about the status of this invoice. And, you know, because you want to get hired again. And so you yeah. always try to keep it polite. But at a certain point, you're like, where's my fucking money? I, right? Yeah. I once, um, I was not paid for about six months by a publication I won't name. Um, and I sent, and the editor, I, I, I liked, and I, I knew it wasn't his fault, but I was frustrated, and he kept saying how much he appreciated me and said thank you, and I responded with a, a YouTube uh, video from an episode from Mad Men where um, Peggy is saying that she wants to be thanked, and Don Draper says, uh, well, that's what the money's for, and I thought this was really <laughs> clever, and he right. got really, like, offended, and we're friends now, it's cool, he might even be listening, hey. Um, but he, he was pissed off. And then like a colleague of mine was like, you can't do that. And I'm like, I'm not getting paid. I've been essentially working for free for half a year, um, roughly. Um, and this was a while ago. So go, good luck Googling it. You're not going to find it. Um, but it, it was, uh, it, it roughed, ruffled some feathers just cause I was asking to get paid. Well, and I think the problem is, you know, God grant us this, you know, leeway. But a lot of people, if it's a big check, maybe somebody depends on that for rent. Yeah, totally. And And you never really know. You never really know when that stuff is coming in. Right. Right. And if it's been like a month or two months or three months or five, it's like it's hard to schedule your life and your bills and your payments and the way you live. It really affects things deeply. And this, so, is, yeah, and I mean, we're we're at a table now with a bunch of people who we're writers, we're journalists, but this also affects people who work in studios as engineers. This affects people mm-hmm. who work, you know, they run the list at the door at your local club. This affects so many people who don't have the, uh, you know, have the, I guess the privilege of being full time on staff for a company that has a solid enough revenue stream to pay you regularly. Um, it's not just like we're having a pity party for ourselves by any means. No, graphic designers. Yes. Or photographers. I mean, yeah, photographers. I'm curious if even DJs fall into the freelance umbrella. Yeah, but no one stiffs the DJ because they, uh, you know, they're they're playing. Right. So you, you think that's true? You think the DJ always gets paid? I 
I think that the DJ comes with a group of people that are ready and willing to uh, initiate a shakedown if the DJ doesn't. Well, right. And usually the DJ comes with an agent. Yeah. And often, I mean, usually uh, how fees work, especially now um, that the industry has been more systematized, is that there's 50% up front before that DJ even comes to town. And the other 50% is handed either via check or in an envelope to the agent or manager before that DJ hits the stage. I wish journalism worked that way. <laughs> right. Someone just brought you a FedEx full of cash before yeah. your story went live. So I wish for, I mean, I'm sure photographers feel the same way, graphic designers, as you said, Rebecca. It's, yeah. it's rough. Well, and I don't know if you guys watch Atlanta, the new show on FX that Donald Glover is behind. Childish Gambino. Childish Gambino, Yes. But there was recently an episode where his rapper, you know, he manages a rapper on the show and the rapper performs at a show and he talks to the, you know, club owner and he's like, hey, we need to get paid. They go to the back room and the guy's like, here it is. And Donald Glover's like, no, 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 we agreed on like five grand. And he's like, well, and it basically ends up giving him like $800, you know, after all that. So, I mean, it's, yeah, so it affects lesser, you know, maybe not Tiesto, or Cascade, but a lesser-known DJ, certainly, Absolutely. you know, lesser-known rappers who perform at clubs, and, you know, they get paid after the show, and mm-hmm. who knows? Well, by then, the product's already been consumed. Right. right. I've seen some artists, rappers in particular at shows where I've been backstage, who just refuse to go on stage. Yeah. Until they get the check. Yeah. They will not perform. Yeah. And it's hard. I mean, if you are a mid-level or lower or, you know, up-and-coming artist, I shouldn't say lower tier, but that exposure does actually mean something mm-hmm. to you. Yeah, you're, definitely. And you never get represented right when you don't show up. No one from the club is going to be like, hey, we didn't pay them what they wanted, so that's why they couldn't play. The blame gets put on you as the artist, and you're just shit out of luck. Totally. Yeah, everybody on Twitter, you know, he didn't perform. Right. He didn't care about his fans. Yeah. You know, then you shoulder the blame. What kind of feedback have you gotten since putting that tweet up? All supportive. I was nervous about it because yeah. I'm just not that way. I don't, you know, I am, I'm really not messy. Like, I think handle your business privately, but it, I had seen. And by messy, you mean like you don't go off right. popping at somebody just because they yeah. didn't fuck with you. They wanted, to, you wanted them to fuck with you. Right, yeah. exactly. But I had also seen not only the announcement of the bill, but um, an artist actually on, um, that I follow on Instagram who does like, sculptures with balloons which pretty cool i can't think of her name at this point but she had actually gone on instagram and basically said the same thing about the same magazine a different no a different you know but had said hey i haven't gotten paid and when you're asking to get paid every week for eight months you start to question your value so i saw these two things and i was like you know what i'm gonna do it i've been toying with the idea i'm gonna put it out there i will say um Having been on the other side of it, having been at a big corporate publication and outlet, um, a lot of times the people who you are interacting with, whether you're a photographer or writer or artist um, and you're dealing with an editor, they are not obviously responsible for cutting the checks. But that is why it is important for those people, whether you are an editor or or some other kind of mid-level person or intermediary person, to make sure that you're communicating with with the person who's owed money. And it sounds like the, the folks at Wonderland just stopped talking to you. Yeah. Yeah. And that's... From uh, editorial assistant to editor right. to managing editor to editor-in-chief, all wow. of whom I emailed. If they had been saying to you, look, we know it's a problem and our accounting department is just fucking this up, would you have been cool with it? I would have... I definitely would have gone to, wouldn't have gone to Twitter. Yeah. No. I would have said, you know what? At least you're corresponding with me. I have a similar situation right now with, you know, someone not paying me. But the editor is in touch with me saying, right. we're going to get this taken care of. I'm sorry. You know, there's this hold up, whatever. Don't and I know send that- them a Mad Men video. I, it does not go over <laughs> <Don't>. well. <laughs> right. That's a tough position to be in as an editor, too. Yeah. You know, because it's this huge corporation. You as an editor, you don't really know where that money is coming from. And you can't do anything to expedite the process. So you're trying to sort of placate the writers who you feel bad for. I've been there. It, it sucks. It's really awkward. Yeah, it is awkward. Like- I, this has also been an issue I know for, uh, f- several years ago um, there was a situation, and I don't want to put anyone on blast because I know it's been resolved, but after New Year's Eve, one artist was not paid in, in the chaos of New Year's Eve. And uh, about a month later, 
went to Twitter and started blasting the promoter and being like, this dude doesn't pay. And it really, uh, you know, when you rally your fan base as an artist against a promoter, against mm-hmm. a club, it, mm-hmm. it's pretty effective. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and things were since resolved. Um, but, I mean, before social media, that kind of shit happened all the time, too. Right. Well, and I also, you know, Katie and I both worked for a local publication, print publication, that doesn't have a ton of money. I mean, print journalism at this point, newspapers, that's not news. But when I worked there and when you worked there, I'm sure it was the same. They paid on time. You didn't have to worry about it. And so I kind of use that as a, you know, benchmark of – if they can do this, right? Anybody, you know, right. anybody else can do it. Right? I mean, look, we all pay our bills. We all have phone bills, electric bills, maybe internet bills to pay. Um, we know that when we're paying our home bills on time, it's because we are managing our money good. And so, when somebody <laughs> right. is not paying you, it's because they're not. Right. Yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. I mean, it's not. Or yeah. they don't respect you. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. it's a matter of respect at the end of the day. You you owe someone at least a response to explain what's going on. Otherwise, it's what yeah. you're dealing with, what a lot of us have dealt with. It's just disrespectful to, to what you do as a writer and sort of to who you are as a person. I respect my internet provider. And so you pay your bill. Well, more like if I don't respect them, they, <laughs> they cut it they off. Cut me off. You, you respect having internet. I respect. Right. I respect their game. Yeah, it's a tough one. Right. <laughs> I know. I know where the boundary is. It's the twenty first of every month. Um, thank you for for that, Rebecca. Yeah, thank, thank you for you. Uh, yeah. for speaking up because I think you are by extension empowering a lot of people in a lot of different fields who feel like they can't say what they they want to say about getting paid. Yeah. So that's great. Uh, Crystal Rodriguez is here for a look at new music. Hey, Sal. How's it going? I'm good. How are you? Good. Hi, Crystal. Hey, Katie. Hi. <laughs> so tell us what you got. All right. So first up, we have uh, veteran house DJ and producer Jesse Rose uh, has announced he's retiring next year following the re- release of his next album. Uh, the, the album titled All Right, Mate, caps a 20-year career during which he's released on labels such as Get Physical and Club Sweat and found in multiple labels of his own, including Play It Down and A-Sided. Um, All Right Mate is slated for release in February 2017, and it will be followed by a farewell tour. This is crazy. He's not that old. What he, is he, 35? Yeah. Ish? I would say, like, at the oldest, he's 40. Okay. He uh, A-Sided is a relatively new label. I think it's, like, two years old. I think so. so. Any insight as to why he's pulling the plug on himself? I mean, the guy started at, what, like, 14? 20 years is a long time for him. That's already over half his life. What's, does he, did he say what he's going to do next? Maybe um, hit, the, hit the golf links with Barack Obama? He's retiring too. <laughs> <laughs> Anything can happen. Who knows? Well, I think Jesse Rose said something to the effect of that his, his body can't keep up with his mind at this point. Mm-hmm. And while he still has a lot of ideas for music, I think it's kind of tied to what we were talking before, like touring relentlessly yeah. for 20 years. Like, that guy's tired. I am I'm sure that guy is just ready to stay home. I will never forget a night that I saw Jesse Rose and Oliver Dollar play at a club in Amsterdam. They were tag teaming. It was amazing. Oh, I bet. So nice. uh shout out to Jesse Rose. Best of luck, buddy. Farewell. <laughs> Come visit us in your free time. Um <laughs> next you have something from Cold Cut. Yes. So uh, the UK duo and Ninja Tune co-founders Cold Cut have announced their first release in 10 years. Damn. Crazy. It's an EP called Only Heaven, and it follows their 2006 album Sound Mirrors. Um, they shared a new track from it actually last month called uh, Only Heaven, and they've now shared a new song called uh, Donald's Wig. <laughs> Please tell us what that is about. I think we already know. So so Cold Cut actually kind of have a political theme throughout their releases. No. So it Crazy. seems that their latest song is actually somewhat <laughs> of an homage maybe to our Republican presidential candidate. Don't say our Republican presidential <laughs> candidate. I think even Republicans are like, oh, God. Well, that guy over there. We'll, 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 we'll yeah. just call the him that. The orange guy on the ballot. <laughs> that guy over there. Yeah. The orange man on the ballot. All right. It's called Donald's Wig. Um, it features Rose Gabor. Um, it's and the EP's out on November twenty fifth via Cold Cuts label ahead of our time. So ahead of our time. So that's not Ninja Tune. Is it a sub imprint of Ninja Tune or? It was actually Cold Cuts label before Ninja Tune was created. Okay. So Ninja Tune is the subsidiary label. Huh. Ah, I, I don't think people even know Ninja Tune is such a behemoth. Mm-hmm. 
that I don't think people even know that there's any parent above it, but this is it. Yep. It's from the ninja daddies mm. themselves of Cold Cut. A lot of revival going on. <laughs> yeah. All right. Zell just said ninja daddies. I did. For the record. <laughs> and then I thought about the, patri- the, the patriarchy of the Trump family, and I shuddered. Now you can all shudder at home. Okay. What a Patrick Bateman. Or wherever you're listening to this. All right. Uh, and then a, a supergroup collab. Hey, hey. So I want to ask how many of you guys listened to R.L. Grimes' Halloween mix this year? For the record, no one is oh, wow. raising their hands. No, but that's like, a, we're not necessarily a representative <laughs> sample. I'm, I'm, I'm down with some R.L. Grimes. I gave it a spin. I got my trap arms on. Okay. Um, <laughs> I have liked all those trap mixes arms. in years past. I want to see this. Okay. Oh, okay. Gotcha. If only you, dear listener, could see the, the pull trap up. Arms. My trap arms are not very good. We're doing the so. pull up, y'all. If Vine wasn't dead, we'd put it up on there. <laughs> anyway, um, if you had heard the mix, you would have uh, known that the last song that that he played in that mix was a new collaboration with Skrillex and What's So Not. Um, it's called Waiting, and uh, it's reportedly been playing. They've all three of them have reportedly been playing it in their sets for the last month, and. Uh, yeah, it's it's crazy bass music festival trap made for open air, and it's out on Thursday, November third. Oh, so it's out. Yeah, no more waiting. It's out. What what uh, what was your thought and feeling about this track? I mean, it's yeah. I wouldn't necessarily call it groundbreaking, but okay. like I said, if if you're at a festival and you want to get your bass on, get your trap arms on, hopefully better than mine, then go for it. No, your trap arms are great. I just feel like that sometimes when you have three super producers in the same on the same track, it sometimes it's too much. Well, we're not enough. If I may, it sounds like a lot of other songs that you have heard before. Mm. And I didn't find much of it distinguishable. I like it. I love trap music. And I liked the song, but I didn't think that it was super original, especially given the three people that were working on it, although it does have a really nice bridge. It has a sort of like Middle Eastern-inspired vocal bridge that I thought was really pretty and unique. Um, but it's, it's not bad. It's just kind of not as much as I thought it could be from these three guys. Okay. Maybe a case of too many cooks. Perhaps. Too many DJs. Too many DJs. Too many DJs. All right. Lastly, what do you have for us? Okay. So for the drum and bass heads, uh, a new album's on the way from, and I hope I'm pronouncing it right, Kim Yan Law. He's an artist based in Vienna, Austria, but he's actually exiled from his homeland of the Congo, um, and he was only able to return a few uh, years ago. So on November 13th, he's releasing a new album called Zawadi, which is Swahili for Gifts. Um, it's really, if you're a fan of deep, almost meditative drum and bass, um, one of my favorite acts, Spectra Soul, uh, described it in a way that I thought was really cool. He said it was if it is it the album is what would happen if Burial and Mount Kimby made music together in the forest. Oh wow! Whoa, that's a nice Burial Mount Kimby in the forest somewhere in Austria. <laughs> I'm guessing. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you premiered this this week on Thump. Uh, it should be up tomorrow on Thump. Yeah. Yep. And uh, say the name again. Kim Yan Law. Kim Yan Law. Cool. We will check out for it. Thank you so much, Crystal. Thank you. Thank you, Crystal. We've now reached that time in the show where Katie and I talk about what killed the vibe and what didn't kill the vibe. Uh, Here for a quick rundown of everything that that affected the vibes of this week. Let's do it. Let's do it. You want to go first? Sure, I'll go first. Okay. Hit me. Visa fees. Killed the vibe. Depression. Killed the vibe. Sketchy studies about depression. Mm, killed the vibe. Awareness of depression. Kept the vibe alive. Good. Uh, suing your friends. Oh, Jesus. Killed the vibe. Friends unless, with- unless, unless you're the one doing the suing and it keeps the vibe alive because you're doing what you have to do. Oh, legal fees. Uh, killed the vibe. A verdict in your favor. Kept the vibe alive. Friends fucking you over in the first place. Killed the vibe. Disco sharks. Kept the vibe alive. The tragedy that is befalling sharks of our nation, of our land, our oceans. Oh, that killed the vibe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the awareness of uh, the awareness of the ecological disaster in the world, in our club culture. Is there enough awareness? Is there not? Do we need to think about it more? You know, I think about this a lot. And I find that nine times out of ten, 
it kills the vibe because clubs are such trash generators. Ugh. It doesn't even feel so like there's true. like a real awareness or care around how much junk is being thrown on the floor, like 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 light sticks, glow sticks, okay. bottles. We got it. You're killing the vibe. It, I just killed the yeah. vibe. All right, fictional cops on German television. Kept the vibe alive. Really? Okay. Yeah, why not? All right. Clubs named for fictional cops on German television. Well, kept the vibe alive. Eddie Dean, low-key, saving a Brooklyn <laughs> nightlife mecca. Kept the vibe alive. I mean, he did. He, he kept did. The place he alive. totally did it. Oh, one more. Recreational marijuana becoming legal? Oh, man. I'm on the fence now after what? that conversation with Amanda. I was going to say kept the vibe alive, but it kind of kills the vibe, too. But I will say that I think the symbolic win is important so i'm gonna say kept the vibe alive. all right all right yeah yes on 64 in california check here if you don't live in this state Mar massachusetts nevada wherever you are arizona That's arizona yeah yep. go for it say yes or no I'd read the read the measure don't listen to me your turn okay getting hacked getting hacked oh kills the vibe okay getting high oh uh, it depends i'm you know i'm not like the biggest advocate of of personal use all right so Nah, it can kill the vibe. Can, you know what, it, kids? It really can. You really can. You get high, can ruin your life. So that's my PSA. Continue. Getting paid. Does not kill the vibe. That is the vibe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, not getting paid. Oh, kills the vibe. That's right. a bitch better have my money moment. Right. Okay. Okay. Getting laid. Does not kill the vibe. Getting lost. Uh, <laughs> does not kill the vibe. Unless you're with good friends, and then it can be kind of fun. That's right. All right. Trap arms. Does not kill the vibe. Um, that's all I got for you. All right. I love it. Yeah. So let's wrap it up. Don't Kill the Vibe is recorded live in Hollywood at Create TV Studios by our A-team, executive producer Alex Munoz, audio engineers Andrew Conde and Anthony Russo. Allison Snyder is our creative director and our photographer. She takes all those beautiful pictures of us. Our theme music today is This Is Love by Peak One. That's P-E-A-K underscore O-N-E. Check them out. And I want to say thank you to our guests, Amanda Chicago-Lewis and Rebecca Haithcote. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can see all those photos of us at, at DKTV Podcast. You can listen to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, or YouTube. And keep in touch at don'tkillthevibe.com. Thank you for listening. Until next time, don't, don't kill, kill the vibe. vibe.